Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Part one of Dear Next President. So if you are here today, it is true, we found out earlier today that there's two types of people. That there are people who love the political season. How many of you watch all the debates? You, you, you follow a candidate. You've got, you've got, you're already like, if pollsters called you, you'd be like, yeah, I got this guy. How many of you already like in? You got your guy figured out. You got your girl figured out. You got it all. Yeah, yeah. You, you, got, you feeling the burn or you, you got something? You know, some of y'all don't know what that means. Y'all are the people that don't watch politics. And so, so anyway, I, there are two different people. There's people that love politics, and they're feeling the burn, and they watch the debates, and they've got all this, and they're dialed in. And there's other people who could not care less. This is just a waste of time. This is a bunch of fat cats bloviating. How many of you feel a little bit like that sometimes? Yeah, yeah. And so in this season, though, this is, this is such an important topic, and, and here's why. It's because we're going to elect somebody really, really soon, and they're going to lead our country for the next four years, and we kind of ought to care about the direction of our country. We, we, we should have some skin in the game. We should have at least a, a some level of interest because that, it's going to determine a lot of things going forward and what happens in the future, maybe what happens for our children or our grandchildren. So it, it ought to matter on some level. But let me tell you why this series is so important for you right now today. It's because not only are what we going to talk about going to really affect how we view the president and that leadership capacity, but what we're going to talk about ought to begin to alter the way that you view any leadership. We're talking about at any level of government leadership or business leadership or community leadership. And then here's the other part too. You need to accept this. It should affect your leadership. And some of you are like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I have any leadership. Yeah, you do. Everybody in here at some point has influence with or over another human being. You've got that. And so if you're in here today and you're a mom, you've got leadership. You've got influence. You've, got, you've been given responsibility over some little small people that run around. And, and if you're a dad in here, you've got leadership in the same realm. Or if maybe you're a business owner. Maybe you're a manager. Maybe you have people that, that work underneath you in whatever work environment that you have. At some level, there is leadership in play. And it matters because it matters how you lead the people underneath you. But it also matters how you lead up and think about the people who maybe, because most of us have managers or bosses or business owners. And so leadership matters because this, it's this constant thing throughout all of life. There's always leadership and influence in play, and we're going to look at how that all works. And so as we, we go through these next three weeks, we're going to look at three very, very specific places in the Bible where someone is advising, and one of them is the one today that we're talking about, a king. Like there's some advice given to a king, and it's really, really important how it affects this king and what happens in the future and how it all goes down. In, in, in the next week, we'll talk about how somebody advised a pharaoh. In the third week, we'll, we'll look at how somebody advised a governor and the decisions that they made and how that affected everything that was going on around them. So there's this just fascinating thing in play. But the reason why it's so important to us kind of right now is because we're in political season. And so it, I can only talk about this subject like this when it's political season. So I only got one shot, right? So that's why I'm, ta- I'm taking my shot. And I'll tell you, what, part of the genesis of this is, is the other night, this is a few weeks ago, we're in our small group Bible study, and, and we get to talking about politics. Now, how many know there's a thing, it's taboo in a social environment <clears throat> to talk about politics, right? There's a few things you don't, you're not supposed to talk about, which I think all those, I think that's dumb. I ignore all those social rules, which is, maybe I don't have that many friends. And so... <clears throat> 
y'all love me because I'm your pastor, not because I'm your friend. So anyway, um, but we start talking about politics and it's so funny to hear people talk about politics. Now, usually if you're in here and you say, I'm all into politics and you got the other people that don't, usually y'all two would be married to each other, right? Because you got to have an argument about something and somebody's got to care, right? And somebody is like, oh, please just shut up and put on, you know, something else. Put on elementary for crying out loud. Let's watch some TV. And let's watch NCIS. Whatever it is, you want to go watch TV. The other one wants to watch the speech and then argue and debate. And have you ever noticed, like, that, that's just the way it goes. And so in this small group, I'm, I'm literally, I, there's a couple husband and wife, and she is a hardcore conservative, and he is a total liberal, and man, they just come from two different, and that's just proof. Listen, you know what this proof of? The proof is this. You can still love each other and be on different sides of the aisle, okay? You can sleep in the same bed even, and you know what I'm talking about? And so, so there, and, and these arguments come up, and what's so funny is this, is that it proves that we're so biased too, because whenever you hear a conservative talk about their guy and talk about the other, the other people, it is so clear that their guy is brilliant and the other guy's a moron, right? Like my guy, he's just, he's, he's so full of truth and he wants justice and the right thing. And this is what's best for our country. And then when you watch the other one, you're like, what a liar. They're so fake, aren't they? I can tell. I can tell everything coming out of their They're so fake. And no matter what side you're on, you always assume that you're, because you're, you're biased, right? And so this is kind of why this is so important is because, hey, leadership is involved here. And being able to get beyond drinking the Kool-Aid of our own camp and our own group and our own team and figuring out who, what if we looked at it from a total biblical perspective and said, what if we didn't get into the jive of just what this camp says and what that camp says? What if we looked at what the Bible says? And here's the question we want to answer is this, is what would these men in the Bible or what would these people in the Bible advise our new president, like if our new president got to sit down, like so today we're going to talk about this guy named Daniel. Everybody say Daniel. How would Daniel advise our new president? What, what would he say? And I'm going to tell you, it's so clear. And today I'm going to work through this story and I'm going to read a lot of scripture. And so I want you to hang with me here. And so if you're, if you're taking medicine, it's 1043. And I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I have a lot of points because the text doesn't have a lot of points. It's this beautiful, brilliant story that drives home one big, huge awesome idea that if you can swallow this idea that if you can get this deep down in your heart that if you can apply this to your leadership and how you look at all leadership i'm telling you it will change the way that you look at other things it'll change the way you look at what god has given you it is a huge principle and truth and it's awesome and so if you have your bible i want you to go to daniel chapter four with me and, and then here's what we're going to do here's the story and i need you to give the context in 580 bc this is kind of when this takes place there's this king and his name is Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody say Nebuchadnezzar. And then he is the king of a kingdom or an empire called Babylon, which, by the way, is kind of modern-day Iraq. This is where this is taking place in the world. And at this point in time, Babylon is the greatest empire in all the world, and they kind of dominate that whole region of the world. And Nebuchadnezzar is a, a, a ruthless warrior, but he's also a really, really smart King And what he has done is, is through his empire and its power, he has gone through the surrounding areas and just kind of wiped out everybody and beat them up and done all this. And so one of the kingdoms that he overthrew was Israel, like, like Jerusalem, the holy people of God. What had happened was this, is that the people of God had become rebellious and disobedient and idolatrous. And God kept warning him, hey, look, if you don't turn, if you don't obey, if you won't do this, I'm going to bring judgment, which means this, I'm going to allow whatever to happen to you to have. I'm going to step back. If you don't want me, I'll step back. 
And what happens is, is that God basically pulls back and says, fine, if you don't want me, I will allow whatever to happen to happen. And Nebuchadnezzar happens. Nebuchadnezzar comes in with his, his army and he literally destroys the temple. He tears down the walls and he takes a large number of these Jewish people back to Babylon. And one of the things that he did that was so brilliant, we, we've discussed this before, is that he would take just... just a lot of people, but then he would pick out of those the brightest, sharpest, smartest, most talented, most gifted people, and he would take those people into the capital city, which this is kind of a leadership principle in and of itself. He liked surrounding himself with the smartest people that he could, which is, I think, a kind of a good idea. Rather than just surrounding himself with a bunch of other Babylonians who would always just be a yes man and go after whatever he wanted to do and support him and just believe whatever he... He just thought, what if I surrounded myself with the brightest, smartest people, not just in Babylon but from the whole world. And that was his idea. And so there's something else in play here that you need to think about though, is that in their mindset, they all worship gods. And so every camp, every country, every people group had their own God that they worshiped. And so King Nebuchadnezzar worshiped a God called Marduk. Everybody say Marduk. So Marduk is the god of the Babylonians. He's kind of like the chief god. They had a bunch of other little gods, but he was the god of gods. And, and that's just how it worked. But when you were a guy and a king and you had your army and your army had your god, the way they looked at it was this. If my army beats your army, that's in essence the same thing as my god just beat your god. Right? And so since my army won, clearly your god didn't save you. So my god is bigger, stronger, faster, prettier than your God. And so therefore now you're, and that's the way they would have looked at Israel. They would have literally looked at it like they would have never given homage to the God of Israel. They're like, well, no, the God of Israel's dead. We destroyed the temple. We tore down the walls. The God, the, the nation of Israel is out of business, right? Because if there's no temple, there's no sacrifice. There's no worship. There is no day of atonement. The God of Israel is out of business and Marduk, he must be God. And that's just the way that they looked at it all. And it's in light of all of this that this story takes place. So some of the people that Nebuchadnezzar brought into Babylon, the smartest, brightest people that he could surround himself, there were four Jewish kids that are mentioned. Daniel is one of them, then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed, Abednego. Abednego, I almost said that wrong. And so these are the four specific people that are mentioned. And Daniel is so smart and so bright that he just keeps moving up the ladder. And he is one of Nebuchadnezzar's trusted advisors. And here's what takes place. Daniel chapter 4, verse number 4 says this. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar. So literally we're reading it as he told the story. <clears throat> I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. Remember, he's a big deal. I saw a dream that made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. So here's the deal. He has a dream, and they were real big on this, and so he has a dream that so shakes him and rattles him that he starts calling in every astrologer and dream interpreter. And remember, they had all kinds of people from all kinds of different weird religions and backgrounds and ideologies. And he brought them all in and said, can you tell me what this dream is? And this is what the dream was. The dream was about a tree. And the tree was so big and so strong and birds rested in the branches and, and, and cattle would rest underneath the shade. And it was, it was this kind of beautiful picture. And then a voice from heaven spoke and said, hey, chop down the tree. And it's just this. And he's like, what does this mean? What's going on? And so finally, no one can interpret the dream. And he says, Daniel, can you interpret it? And Daniel comes in. And it's really funny because like Daniel hears the dream and he gets so upset and so troubled that Nebuchadnezzar's like, hey, buddy, it's okay. 
It's, it's, it can't be that bad, right? It's, you're you're going to be okay. He goes, no, no, it's, it's bad. And so he tells him the interpretation of the dream. And the interpretation of the dream is this. Nebuchadnezzar, you're the tree. You're this big, awesome, powerful king with all of this. And you rule over a vast empire. You're this big, great tree. But here's, there's a voice from heaven that says, chop down the tree. You're the tree. So, it just kind of skips forward. It's, and really what Daniel tells him is this. He goes, you need to repent. Like if you'll just be a better king, just be a just king, be a righteous king, like be merciful for the poor, be just to people, like be a good king. Maybe God, maybe your repentance will take this judgment from God off of your life. And what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Nothing, because <laughs> he worships Marduk. And so this is, this, is, this, is, this is what Daniel, the end of Daniel's interpretation says though. Verse 17, this is the decision By the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones. Meaning like this is why the dream came and this phrase is so huge. And you're going to see this phrase pop up three more times at least during the course of our day today. Are you ready? This is the big thought, the big key. He says, and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living. Are you alive? Then this is for you. In order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. He goes, hey, look, the reason why you got the dream and the reason why there's a tree and somebody's going to chop down your tree is so that all the people in the world will know that the most high God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he gives it to whomever he wishes. To a guy like Nebuchadnezzar, can you imagine? That could have created some tension between him and Daniel. Have you ever had a boss that like wanted your feedback and input and then you gave it and he didn't like it? How'd that go over, right? Your bonus got smaller. You know, like, like, like I have a buddy who's in that same situation. His, his boss is like, hey man, I need you to give me input and tell me this and this. And he's like, uh, uh, okay, why? And, and then he gets defensive and mad and angry and then it sets everything. As, so this could have gone really, really bad for Daniel. Daniel might could have just come up with something like, you know, the other people, that's the tree. God's going to get them. But no, he just told him the truth and told. And then he tells him, and here's why. It's because you're arrogant. The reason why you're the tree and God's going to chop down your tree is because you're arrogant and you don't know how to treat people. And you, you've, you've totally misunderstood what leadership is really all about. And you need to understand this big truth, this big idea that all leadership is a stewardship. It's temporary and you're held accountable. Like that's the big idea behind what's going on here. And he goes, that's what God's trying to get you to see. It's the most high God. I know you got Marduk. And Daniel's kind of funny here. He's really sensitive because he lives in a world that's full of all kinds of different idolatry and people worship other gods. So he doesn't say, hey, your God's fake. It's not real. There's only one true God. He just puts in the context, hey, look, I know you, there's a most high God. I mean, there's a God, and I know he's invisible, and I know you threw him out of business in your mind when you destroyed the temple and you overthrow Israel, but I want you to know he's gone nowhere. He's still alive and well, and everything's good. And that most high God, I need you to know this, that he actually rules over all things. So this kingdom that you think you built with your power and your strength and your might and your brilliance and your genius, actually God allowed you to do that, and he still reigns supreme over you. And every kingdom's like that. And God gives them or takes them away as he wishes King Nebuchadnezzar. So let's keep reading. The story is fascinating. Verse number 24 This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king. 
Meaning like, this is how it's going to play out. Remember the tree and you're going to get chopped down? This is what it's going to look like. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you until you know. What do you know? Until you know that the Most High rules over the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. If you, if you grew up in Sunday school, maybe you remember the story about like King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and, and literally, he went insane. He lost his mental faculties. He lost his sanity. And he literally was out eating like an animal in the fields. How embarrassing was this? And so people, like literally there was a big cover-up because all of his advisors knew and they tried to just kind of cover the whole thing up. And people would come see Nebuchadnezzar and be like, oh, well, he's not feeling well today. Or, oh, he's busy right now. You'll have to come back later. And they kind of led in his. And it says that seven times shall pass over you. And nobody really knows what that means. Some people thought it meant seven days, seven months, seven years. Nobody's really, really clear. But what we know is this, is that there's a certain time span that goes and he loses his mind. There, actually, there's, there's medical professionals that have come to diagnose this. It's very rare. But like people that think they turned into an animal and they go crazy and they lose their, it's, it's really interesting. Okay, so verse 26, and in as much as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots. So in the dream, when he said chop down the tree, he said leave the stump and leave the roots. He's coming back to that. He says, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Meaning when you actually will humble yourself, when you finally come to the knowledge and the understanding that the most high God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to whomever he wishes. When that actually sets in, then this thing will be restored to you, is what he's saying. Therefore, O king, let my advice, this is the advice, be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps may there, there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 29, at the end of the 12 months, meaning literally, he gets the advice from Daniel and he does nothing with it. He goes about his normal day, his normal routine, his normal leading the kingdom, and 12 months go by and nothing happens. Now, how many know when a friend comes to you and warns you that you're going to get it and something bad's going to happen to you? Maybe you're nervous for a few days. Maybe you look over your shoulder for a month. But I mean, 12 months go by, like, all right, Daniel missed it, the whole tree thing. That was stupid. That's not real. I'm fine. Clearly, I'm good. 12 months have gone by. I'm not eating you know, grass like a cow. Everything must be okay. Listen to that. How it goes. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. And the king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? How many know when, the, when the, your speech starts out like that? It's like the bad guy in the movie that stalls too long, starts giving a speech, and then somehow the good guy gets uncuffed and, you know, whatever. Be careful of your speeches is is, is the point of the story. And this goes back to King Nebuchadnezzar. He starts his speech. He's like, you know what? Aren't I great? Aren't I awesome? Like, aren't I smart? This is the coolest kingdom. I built this kingdom. This is my kingdom. Like, I'm really, really smart. I'm really, really talented. I'm really, really good looking. And look what all I've done. Hey, babe, did you see what all I did? It's pretty cool, huh? Like, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, and in this moment, he's having this kind of like, it's all about me. And listen, it says, while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. 
The kingdom has been taken from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. Seven times shall pass over you. Until what? Until you know. Can we just read this together? Let's just read this together. You you read it along with me as I read it. That the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses This is the phrase, this is the thing, this is the big idea that you've got to learn and that you've got to see and that you've got to accept. So literally Nebuchadnezzar goes crazy. Verse 34, and at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, meaning at the end of the seven days, seven months, seven years, whatever that was, I lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding then returned to me. And I, listen to what he did. I blessed the most high. And I praised and honor him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? So literally he goes mad. He goes insane for a seven-year period, seven-month period. Something goes by, and finally he wakes up from it. He comes out of his insanity, and he's like, oh, my gosh. Heaven rules. The Most High God, his dominion is everlasting from generation. He goes on and on and on and on. Listen to it. At the same time, verse 36, My reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, listen to to the change in this man. Remember ago, it was like, oh, look at my kingdom. Look at all I've done. Ignore him. Marduk is God. Listen to what he says now. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the kingdom of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways are justice. And those who, listen to this, and those who walk in pride, he is able to put down so that you may know that the most high God rules over the kingdom of men. And this is the big idea. This is what you need to accept is this, is that leadership, all leadership is a stewardship. Like all of life is a stewardship. Did you know that? I'll prove it to you. Before you were born, what did you have? When you die, what will you have? So what do you really got? So everything that you have is not actually yours as much as it's stewardship, meaning it's on loan, right? Meaning it's temporary, right? You don't know how long or how many days or how much time you have. All of leadership, just like all of life, is a stewardship. It is temporary. And not only is it temporary, but you're accountable, Meaning at the end of this life, God gets to look and say, how, how did you use your leadership? How did you use your influence? Meaning like, did you, you will be held accountable for not just whom you led, but how you led them. Like, it's important to think that, you know what, as a parent, I've got these kids. And if you've got adult kids, you know this. I only got them for a small window of time. I don't have them forever. And they get older and they get mouthier and they get independent and they start coming up with their own ideas. And I don't know that I like that, but it's, so it's temporary, All I have is this moment, this window, and and your leadership, your business, your management, all of those things come into that same category. It's temporary, and you are held accountable, meaning like nothing in this life is something that you did completely of yourself. I know you think you're smart, and you probably are, and I know you think you worked hard for that, and you probably did, but when you trace it back far enough, what you realize is that it all came from God, and I wouldn't even have the opportunity to have it had God not given me life, had God not given me 
thoughts had God not given me strength and it all comes from him and so it needs to be something that I actually have a little bit of a reverence and fear of God about my life that I realize hey this is this is a big deal I'm held accountable this is temporary this is a stewardship I shouldn't be thinking about all that I've done and all that I've accomplished without acknowledging that it is God who gave me everything to begin with and this is the humility that comes upon Nebuchadnezzar after God Judges him in essence. Now, here's the deal. The story moves forward. And when you jump right into the next chapter, chapter five picks up and there's some time that goes by. It like, but the Bible just, it just skips forward. Here's what happens. Nebuchadnezzar tells everybody this story. We know this because of what happens later. He tells everybody what happened to him. He tells everybody about the most high God, but he's got kids. He's old of age. He has a kid named Nabonidus. Nabonidus becomes the king after Nebuchadnezzar dies. And he does something that, I don't know that we've ever seen in history before. He is the king, and then he retires. Like, kings die, right? Kings are murdered. Kings are killed in battle. Kings don't retire. This king just retired. As a matter of fact, history thinks that he went and joined some weird religious cult and just kind of disappeared for a while. And so his son, his son comes along. His name is Belshazzar. I say Belshazzar. So Belshazzar comes along. Now still, the the kingdom of Babylon, they still honor and worship this god named Marduk. And and again, they think about all that they've conquered and accomplished and built. And they have this grand empire. Well, here's what's happening in world history that the Bible doesn't speak clearly to, but we know just from the history books, that there's another empire that has been rising over the years. It's called the, the, the Persian Empire which is basically modern-day Iran. And there's this king named Cyrus who has joined the Persian people and the Medes and basically brought together this huge army. Well, this huge army is on the move now. And it's just taking over and taking over and moving further and, and taking more land and taking over more kingdoms, and it's moving closer and closer to Babylon. Well, so eventually Nabonidus, remember Nebuchadnezzar's kid, Nabonidus, he comes out of retirement, gets the army to go face King Cyrus and gets just whooped. I mean, they get annihilated, they get smoked, they get taken out completely. And so Belshazzar is where? He's back still in the capital city of Babylon. And as he's there, he knows about what's going on. And so what they do is this, they fortify the city. Like it's already a walled city, but they say, all right, boys, let's get all the stuff. Let's bring it in. Let's lock her down because we have built such a great city. These walls can never be breached. I don't care, King Cyrus, you can sit out there and rot. Because this is what they would do, is they would literally come around a, a walled city like this, and they would basically build a, like a tent city around the walls, and they would just camp out. And what they would do is they would create blockades, so you couldn't get anything in, in, couldn't get anything out, and eventually the idea would be to starve the people out until they eventually surrender or whatever. Well, well Belshazzar was so arrogant. He was like, man, I, I can stay here forever. I got so many supplies and so many this and so many that. I can stay forever. You can sit out there and rot. And so King Cyrus does. He blockades. He builds kind of a tent city, and he's just sitting out there. And see what Belshazzar does? He's such an arrogant guy. Remember, he's the torpy grandkid. You know what I'm talking about? You ever met like the kid of privilege that never worked for anything in his life, and they're a little spoiled? You can imagine the grandson of privilege, never worked for anything in his life. He's spoiled, and he's arrogant, little torpy kid. So Belshazzar does something so arrogant. He actually throws a party in his arrogance. 
And he throws a party to say, you know what? You'll never touch us. Our cities won't be breached. Our walls won't be breached. And we're going to have a great party and honor Marduk, our God. And this is what he did. He started saying, hey, go, you know all those gods that we conquered over all the years? You know all their idols and statues? We, we kept them in storage just for fun. Bring them all out. And let's just parade them around Marduk. And let's just have this big worship fest to Marduk and this big party and celebration and feast. And, and that's what we'll do. And if you've ever, this is a story that you guys may have known but you didn't know it came from the Bible. Have you ever heard the phrase, that's the handwriting on the wall? It's this phrase that just means, stick a fork in him, he's done. The fat lady has sung. I mean, we got all kinds of different ladies. Um, so anyway, that's what that phrase comes from. It comes from Daniel chapter five, because in the midst of this incredible feast and this incredible kind of arrogant display, see, part of it was this. When he looks at all the different idols and all the different nations they conquered, finally he's like, hey, where's that, where's that Israel God? Bring their idol out. And they're like, they don't have any, right? Remember the whole thou shalt not make any idol thing? They didn't have any idols. And so what they did was when they ransacked the temple, inside of the inner court of the temple was a bunch of silverware, right? Like a bunch of plates and silverware and lampstands and candles and stuff. And so they were like, well, we'll, we'll go get that stuff. And they start eating off of the plates of the temple. They're like, oh dear God, you're an idiot. Don't do this. You're just going to poke the bear. And so this is, this is what's crazy. But let's, let's, let's read this story. Daniel chapter five, verse 17 says this. It says, okay, so let me, let me bring context still to it. So they're having this great feast and all of a sudden Belshazzar looks up and he sees a hand writing words on a wall. That's where we get the phrase, the handwriting is on the wall. Well, here's what happens. Nobody can read the words. Nobody's fluent in Hebrew, apparently. And so they, 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 he does the same thing. He's like, go get some people. Go get some soothsayers, some astrologers, some people that would know. And they can't find anybody. And finally, the queen says, the queen says, hey, your grandfather had an advisor that would totally be able to read that. His name's Daniel. Can you go find Daniel? And they're like, okay, go get Daniel. Guess this is 40 years after the Nebuchadnezzar story that I just read. So Daniel's like in his 70s by now, at least. And they go find Daniel, which, by the way, he would have been really old at that point in time, given that people didn't live that long. So he's, really, compared to the lifespan, he's a really old guy at this point in his life. But they bring Daniel out. So check, this is the story. So then Daniel answered and said before the king. How are we doing on time? It's 11.07. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Basically, what had happened was, is, is Belshazzar said, if anybody can read me those words, because how many know that would freak you out if you saw that? And then he's got an army outside. He's already superstitious. He's spooked out. He tells, he goes, if anybody can read these words, I'll make him third highest in the kingdom, right? You still got Nebuchadnezzar somewhere. I'm here. I'll make you number three. And this is what Daniel's saying when he's saying, I don't need your gifts. Trust me. He read the writing. He's like, no, no. So, he said, let your gifts be for yourself and your rewards go to another. I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. Meaning he didn't come up with that on his own. God gave it to him. And because of the majesty that God gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. Whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, meaning prideful, and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. <clears throat> then he was driven. Remember, he's retelling the story. Basically, Daniel has everybody's attention. So rather than just read, there's only four words on the wall. 
Rather than just read four words and just get out of there, he's like, I got everybody's attention, watch this. So he kind of starts sermonizing a little bit here. So he goes, then Nebuchadnezzar was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew. What? Until he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints it over to whomever he chooses. I told you there's only one, it's big stories, one big idea that the most high, remember this. Here's the deal. See, Belshazzar, you're so arrogant. You, you knew these stories is what he's saying. He goes, your grandfather told these stories. People knew of this stuff. This came out in the tabloids. Everybody knew that he went crazy and insane and went mad and was eating grass. And you, you, you knew this. Your dad told you this story. Your grandfather probably told you this story. And you still would never humble yourself and recognize that all leadership, stewardship, it's temporary. And you're always accountable. Like you, you, you forgot that. Verse 22, but you, his son, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. You have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have, <clears throat> they have uh, brought the vessels of his house before you and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. He's going back to the fact that they've been parading out God's stuff and drinking from it. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, which you... You don't even see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified him. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him. And this, this is what was written on the wall. You ever wondered what was written on the wall? Four words. This is the interpretation or this is the inscription that was written. Many, many, tekel, uparsin. This is the interpretation of each word. Many, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. You know what those four words mean? You, 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 you didn't get it. You were like, no, no, no. You didn't realize that God owns it all, that God numbers your days, that, that everything comes from him, that you've been weighed and left wanting. You know what that means? You're accountable. Your decisions, your actions, your choices, how you treat other people, how you lead, not just who you lead, but how you lead. You're accountable. And this is that really, really big idea and that really, really big truth that I want every one of us to understand. Because if Daniel were here today and he looked at your life and he looked at your leadership, apparently according to these big, huge, awesome historical stories, what he would say is this, is be, be always mindful that God has given you everything, that it's not yours. It's a stewardship. It's temporary. It, it's, it was given to you, and at any moment, it can be taken away. Therefore, you should never take that for granted. You should never become arrogant about it, and that you're going to be held accountable for it one day. What would a person like that do? How would you? You would live differently if you thought like that. You would make different decisions. You would treat people differently if you always knew that in the balance, hey, all of my influence, all of my leadership, all of my life even, it's a stewardship. It's temporary, and I'm always held accountable. So whether you're a mom, you're a dad, you're a business owner, you're a manager, you just have influence over the waitress that serves your meal. Stewardship. That's something legit to think about. And so you almost have to ask yourself the question, if Daniel could come along and advise 
our next president, what would he say? And this is my guess. He would say something like this. Dear President, while it is true that you are accountable to the American people, we are not your source of ultimate accountability. And while it is true that you must answer to the Congress of the United States, you must one day answer to someone of far greater consequence. While you consult with leaders from around the world, our hope is that you will not forget to consult with the creator of this world. As the great King Nebuchadnezzar once, was once reminded, the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. So your leadership, like all leadership, is a stewardship. It is temporary, and you're accountable. Let's pray this morning. Bow your heads with me. As you bow your head and close your eyes and God is in our midst today, I want to ask you this question. Where is it that you lead? I know you lead. Where is it that you lead? And where is it that you have influence? Because we always want to tell the president what he ought to do. That's easy and fun. We always think we know what they ought to do and what would be best. And we hope that our future president does humble themselves before the creator of the world and remember that truth, remember that huge, big idea. But what about you today? Where do you lead? Are you a dad or a husband, a mom, a wife, a manager, an owner? Maybe you just have influence over people in your neighborhood. Maybe you have influence over the people at work. I don't know. But we need to embrace this idea that, you know what, our life is a stewardship, and therefore our leadership is a stewardship. And so, God, what would you have me do? How might I become a great leader? Listen to me. You're smart. That's how you got the leadership position. But a position does not make you a great leader. It just gives you the title. It just gives you the position. What makes you a great leader is first and foremost when you accept that, hey, I need to humble myself underneath God's leadership. I need to remember that the leadership that I do have, it's temporary, and I'm accountable. And that is the beginning of great leadership, because when that influences who you are and how you think and how you treat other people, then you can actually become not just a leader because you have a position and a title, but you can become a leader that becomes a great person of influence. And so where do you lead? And then I want you to begin to ask those challenging questions. God, how might I lead better? God, would you speak to me? God, would you give me wisdom? God, would you give, put me on a path to growing and learning so that I might become a better leader? For my kids, for my spouse, for the people I work with, for the people I influence. Help us to be reminded always. Let this be just not something that we think about on Sunday morning because Daniel said it, but God, let this stick with us and stay in our heart and stay in our mind that the most high God rules and is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to whomever he wishes. Help us to carry that in our heart, Lord. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen, amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.